0: All right, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start off this morning with uh, some verses that aren't marriage verses, but you'll quickly see how they tie in. Uh, We've been talking about (coughs) the mystery of relationships, and we've been talking about perception filters and how they kind of uh, can make a rat's nest sometimes. We use that illustration of that bait casting reel and all the knots and loops, and you've got to be able to patiently pull them out and uh we've talked about uh how we perceive each other we've actually said that men and women are different right Ooh, ah wow radical thought there and uh but we are men we tend to see through a respect filter ladies you tend to see through a love filter and the language for that is completely different the understanding of that is completely different um, when we're talking to each other and so this morning we want to take it um a little step further, and I entitled this uh, message "Untying the Knots of Marriage." All right. So, when a pastor does a marriage, one of the questions that often come up is say, "Well, did you tie the knot well?" Right. You've probably heard that phrase, and the idea there is, did you do a good job in the pre-marriage counseling and doing the ceremony so that the couple will be able to withstand all the things that are going to come their way? And usually, as the pastor go, "Yeah, I tied it well," you know, to hold them kind of stuff. But one of the things I think that's equally true is that we are often baffled with marriage. Um, in the kind of knots it can tie us up into. Um, there are all kinds of things, communication, actions, or even lack of, right? Sometimes it's missing those things. And we wonder, how in the world did I ever fall in love with this person in the first place? Which is hard to do because when you first get married, um, you know, when you think about it in a couple, how much do they actually give the pastor uh, when he's doing the pre uh, premarriage counseling? Not that much, right? Because they don't think there's many things to deal with. We're in love. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, my parents were idiots and bozos, but that was because they were, we'll do it different. We're going to be spectacular. And look at how we blessed everybody. All these people came and they gave us gifts and money and we made their day. They are so excited because they just know how awesome we are and how awesome we're going to be. Aren't we special, right? And there's just this, you're not laughing, okay? Okay. Right There's just this kind of spectacular rollout sort of deal. But then life happens. And one of the things you run into very quickly in marriage as well as life, uh, singles, there'll be a lot for you in this today, so listen. Um, But you run into the fall. And it's really weird. (coughs) Excuse me, when you run into the fall in the person you married and you start seeing the cracks in the pipes and you start seeing the places where there's some uh, gaps And you wonder, wow, how does that happen? So we're going to look at how that happens this morning. But again, before we do that, we should probably pray. So let's pray. Father, as we uh, tread this morning, we're going to be treading on some tender areas, some areas that will not be foreign to us, especially if we've been married uh, anywhere over a year. Uh, They're not going to be something new. But in that, Lord, uh, there's some things that um, we're going to point out and talk through. And I, I... I want to lift it up because Lord, this isn't a, a one Sunday message. You've been having conversations with a lot of us and for a lot of us for a long time. And I pray that this is a conversation within that larger conversation you're having that will make sense and will be a wonderful thing in terms of uh, responding to you in things that you think are important. And so we lift this morning up, bring up scripture to our minds. Bring up history to our minds, bring up uh, (coughs) our own trails and conversations with you, and use that. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Always good to pray about that stuff before you get going. All right. So, when you first get married, one of the great things, I always tell couples, you know what the great thing about getting married is? You don't have to go home anymore. You are home, right? It's just a spectacular deal. And one of the things that we uh, come away with is, hey, we're on the same team. I got a team now, right? Team Mitchell's awesome. Here we go. Pam and I, yes, it's a fabulous deal. And, uh, you know, as you got married, I'm sure you felt the same things. And so the idea there of we're a team. And if you look at these verses in First Peter, <coughs> excuse me, still getting over that. It says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another be sympathetic love as brothers be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing because this you were called our homes are supposed to be a blessing our marriage is supposed to be a blessing our relationships are supposed to be a blessing but often what happens (coughs) is we end up missing that first part of being in harmony and sympathetic and uh, compassionate and we end up Repaying evil for evil, and we end up uh, giving insult for insult. Isn't it easy to just bark back? <coughs> Excuse me. Right? And just, you kind of return fire with fire. And, um, and it's like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, yeah, you weren't getting away with that. I'll show you. And you know, we get into this whole hubbub kind of thing. And suddenly we find ourselves really on the opposite end of the equation of what we know the Lord would like. Where it says live in harmony, let me give you some definitions of harmony (coughs) because that's a word we use all the time, but we don't really know the meaning of. Harmony means an agreement of feelings or ideas. Here, I'll put it up there for you. Uh, Agreement of feelings, ideas, or actions. Getting along well together. One of the really important biblical concepts that is all over the place in the Bible is the idea of the peace of the home. Does the piece of the home, does the piece of your home matter? It does, doesn't it, right? And if you have children, if you have multiple children, if you have two sets of twins, like some of my friends I know, I don't know who that'd be, but I've heard that happen, it isn't always easy to keep the peace of the home because you have a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of stuff going on and there can be a lot of agendas running and you don't have a perfect time to be able to get together and communicate, and then like, you what? What I thought, but no, but you said, but ah, right? And uh, it, it kind of flops all over the place that way, and we tend to lose our harmony. It also, uh, definition, orderly or pleasing arrangement of parts. In other words, it's working in synchronization. You ever been amazed when your whole family works together, and you go, wow. Very much like these instruments up here. Um, <clears throat> like, for example, that's uh, John's acoustic Guitar over there. And John, you're not in this service, are you? Awesome. Because I could walk over to his guitar and tweak one of the pegs, right? Now, John wouldn't know that, but when he came in to do the last song, if he started playing, he would instantly pick up something's wrong with his guitar. Now, he could keep playing and say, Oh, thank you, Michael. Appreciate that. He could say, Well, I don't care. If one string's out of tune, I'll just keep playing because there's five in tune. But those of us who know, the one out of tune does what to the other five? Right? And that is true in our home as well. If one relationship is out of balance, it pings into the other relationships and knocks them all out of balance. In music, we call that discordant, right? In other words, it is not in tune anymore. And so this idea of harmony and... um, uh, getting along together is an important thing. So the question then would be, what knocks us out of harmony? So I want to give you the best piece of a marriage advice I ever received. And it came from Pastor Jan Hedinger over at North Shore. And when Pam and I <coughs> got married, we were excited, just like the rest of you. And we were doubly excited because I was 38, she was 32. We were long done and gone with singleness, okay? We wanted to be married, and so we were really pumped. And, and and Pastor Jan sat us down. He said, you know, Steve, uh, Pam, I don't have uh, hardly any coaching for you in terms of uh, when it comes to if things go wrong or um, if one of you are sick or that kind of stuff. He said, you two will do really well. Uh, you'll rally together. It'll be back-to-back, and uh, that's just how you work as a couple And I see that going on. But he says, I want to give you the one piece of marriage advice I think that most other people won't give you. And he says it actually comes out of Sharma and I's relationship. I was all ears because I had watched Jan and Sharma for 25 years. So I thought, what could be the most important piece of advice that he'd given? Here's what he said. He said, most of the time when Sharma and I have struggled, (coughs) it has not been when... um, you know, somebody, like I said, something's sick or something's, you know, something's wrong or that guy. He said, our hardest times in our marriage have come when we both thought we were right. And he said, you both have been very successful. You've had very sex- successful careers. You both completed college. You both do ministry together. You're both people persons. So you will be very, very successful that way. But you will probably have a problem when you both think you're right. He said, the worst setback Charm, and the most painful setbacks Sharma and I have experienced in our marriage is when we let some problem split us and we decided it was important enough to separate over. And then we'd argue about it. He said, we would lose momentum. We would lose peace in our home. We would lose, and he said, I think you're going to have the same thing. He said, because one of the things about both of you is you're both very stubborn. And you're very sure you're right. And when you start spatting over who's more right than the other, you're going to experience problems. And Pam was in the first service nodding her head, and she remembers when Jan told us that. What does that look like? I want to show you what that looks like. Uh, we've been talking about perception filters and this idea of, if you don't get this figured out, it's kind of like a r- low-grade static that keeps running. And then all it takes is one little thing, and bing, and the whole thing accelerates, right? Right? And uh, we call it a fight. Mature couples call it a discussion. But um, it is very easy to kind of live in this state as married people. Just this constant little low grade aggravation. um, It's not always there, but just something is bugging us, and we aren't communicating that well, and so um, we kind of struggle. How that often looks is like this. Some problem comes along and this problem starts to operate like one of those perception filters because instead of being together and looking at the problem, we end up being on opposite sides of the problem. Now, I know this would be hard to believe, but sometimes husbands and wives have different ways of attacking a problem and don't see it the same way. That's been true in other churches. And so we sit and then we're standing from the opposite side of the problem, trying to communicate to each other. And how well does that go most of the time? Here's usually what I find happens with Pam and I. I'll just use us because we're sinners. The rest of you don't have a problem. But when you're trying to talk, you ever notice the communication doesn't go through? It kind of pings and twanks and thunks, right? And the more you, you try to talk, the worse and the more aggravated it gets so that it's just a mess and you thought why did we even start talking about this we're in worse shape now than when we first started and that's because this problem acts like a perception filter because it is actually distorting the communication and separating us in terms of our unity what jan said is when you have a problem like this and you come to this place guys and he said primarily steve this is your role Right, So I don't know if he's right in that, but I took it that way. <coughs> this is your role. When that happens, you need to choose humility and come over to the other side and make peace with the situation. And then when you make peace together and say, look, let's, we, we don't see this the same. Let's give this to the Lord. Then you can come at the problem together in prayer. And he said... The ones that Sharma and I failed to pray about were the ones that took us out at the knees. And he said, I want to spare you what Sharma and I went through, and so I want to encourage you to pray in your marriage and come on the other side and pray together. No problem is big enough that it should separate you. You should be able to realize that God brings problems into marriage so that you can pray about them together and then see how God answers the problem through faith. And he said, "Those will become your faith stories uh, in your marriage that you pass on to your children, and we have a number of them. Um, our kids could tell you better the story better than we can of how Pam and I uh, became a couple they they They've got it down. They can tell you how God gave us our house up here in Mill Creek. They can tell you how we were led to uh, be the the pastor here at Norview. They can tell you about the different faith adventures that we, I mean, that becomes part of your faith story. And so we have tried really hard to keep that uh, advice that Jan gave us in mind and to come at um, this this way. Now, that's really good. But one of the questions is, how do you do that? Well, this requires surrender. This is where it isn't just church and it isn't just, oh yeah, we're good people and Christians and This is where it's got to be all the eggs in the basket. All the cards are on the deck and you have to give them to the Lord and say, Lord, we have to give this particular problem to you because it's something that we don't see the same way and we cannot find middle. You ever one of those that should be really easy to find middle and you can't? Right? This is infuriating. And if she would just see it the way I see it, it would fix really quick. Right? Ladies, you know how that works the other way, right? if he would just get a clue that I'm already right, and he's only going to find out later, I could save him the embarrassment. Right? Coming together under the Lord, coming together and admitting, hey, we're both under you, and we need to be together, and our unity is more important than the problem, is a fundamental thing that most couples miss. Or we get it right 80% of the time, and then in that 20%, we really tend to derail and kick each other in the emotional shins. And so Pam and I have worked hard to do this. Uh, It was, for us, a great experience because I had watched Jan and Charm pray uh, through their whole married life, so I just thought that's what Christian couples do, so they pray, so that's what Pam and I always did because I told her that that's what Jan and Charm did. She said, okay, that sounds right, and that's, that's what we'll do. So the question then comes up, Why don't we pray together? And it's at this point in the message where singles, if you haven't been tracking, I would like you to track now. And if you're a teenager and you're thinking about down the road, when you get married, listen to what I'm about to say very carefully. Why don't we pray together? One of the reasons is because um, we struggle with anger. And If you just took a room this size, right, us in here, how much unresolved anger is in a room this size? Right now, this morning, as we sit here and I speak. What would you say? If anger doesn't work for you, think resentment. Okay, anger, resentment. How much unresolved anger or resentment is in a room this size this morning as we sit here? What you find in marriage is that often not only is there a lot of unresolved things, but there are unresolved anger issues that are brought into the marriage that aren't fixed. And all of a sudden we run into them two, three years into the marriage. What does that look like? It looks like this. Uh, In James, there's a verse that says, The anger man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. The one verse. Uh, very simple verse. Uh, I've been spending most of my last 30 years trying to figure out how to unpack that one verse. And so this morning, I'd like to uh, be vulnerable and tell you how God spoke to me about my anger. Fortunately, he did it before I was married, um, which was good for Pam. But uh, I was uh, at North Shore. I was there for 15 years. This will go back to 1988. So that's uh, a long ways back for some of you. And, um, North Shore had grown, uh, I'd been there 15 years, the church had gone from 120 to about 1,500, and, uh, very successful youth ministry, I was the rocking youth dude in the day, I know, that's hard to believe, okay, but trust me, I was, and, uh, the Lord had, uh, grown the ministry, it had gone from five kids to about 400, and it was just an incredible thing, and I was a speaker, and I, I spoke up and down the coast, and, uh, but I had a problem, one of the, I thought my problem was purity, because I had a, a basic disappointment with God going on because I was single. I had wanted to be married when I was 16. My goal for my life at that time in Sugar Bush, Wisconsin, was to get a farm, and I wanted to have a wife and kids, and my whole goal in life was to be driving around on a tractor with my kids.? Okay? That was my, my whole life goal, all right? And uh, yeah, Bob Benoit's back there. He grew up on a farm in Granite Falls. <laughs> And, uh, and I tell you, I'm grateful God had a bigger plan for my life than I had. I, but I would also tell you, I never, ever dreamed I'd be doing this, all right? I didn't even know what a pastor was in Sugar Bush. so that, you know, we only had priests. So, you know, I didn't know how that worked. But, um, so I, I grew up uh, with that, and so at North Shore, I was going along. So I, I was okay being uh, single till I was 30, because my dad didn't get married until he was 30, So that kind of preset the thing, right? So I thought, ah, 30, rabbinical age, yes, I can get married, awesome, here we go, rock and roll, (laughs) ha-ha, nothing. (laughs) 31, all right, this is a little weird, 32, this isn't funny anymore, 33, oh, you've got to be kidding me, right? And I, I would be doing marriages, this is about the fourth generation of students and staff getting married, I'm going... Really, God, you're letting those idiots get married and I can't get married? I, oh, come on. I mean, it was a frustration point And as a result, purity was hard. And so one day I'm having a quiet time. And by the way, if you ever get in one of these type of quiet times, you should learn to quit really quick and just agree with God. I was not that smart. And so here's how this quiet time went. <clears throat> so I was having a quiet time and I was really upset. And I told the Lord, you got to do something about this purity thing. And God came back to me. I was... Uh, forget where I was reading, but I was sitting at a house. And he said, well, Steve, your problem isn't purity. And I said, it most certainly is. No. Well, okay, fine, then what's my problem, right? I'm already upset with the whole thing. He says, well, your problem is you're angry. What? <clears throat> I'm not angry. God, I'm, I'm Steve Mitchell's. I got the greatest laugh in the church. Are you kidding me? I'm the guy that everybody wants to be around. How could I be angry? Oh, yeah, you're angry. Well, I don't think that's true. You ever disagree with God? You should, I just, yeah. Well, how, how am I angry? Oh, it, it shows up. Really? Okay, well, show me then. Uh, fine, if I Where does it show up? In your messages. In my messages? Yeah, you're really angry in your messages. Well, that's dirty pool. Where do do you get off telling me, I'm trying to tell people to walk with you, I'm using your word, I'm doing all this kind of stuff, and now you're telling me I'm angry and I don't do them right? Ah, that's ridiculous. Should have learned to quit right there too. And God goes, yeah, no, not really, you're yelling at people. He said, and really? They aren't doing what you want them to do and they're making you look bad and so then you get mad at them And you're doing a lot of damage. And you're hurting a lot of people. And you don't even know it. Because you don't even realize you're angry. I said, All right, fine. Let's make a deal. Here's the deal. Always be careful when you make deals with God, too, all right? This just goes downhill from here, as you can tell. Um, I said, All right, fine. I'll make a deal with you. I won't do any more messages in anger. Now, the other thing you should be careful of is the timing of when you make a deal with God, right? So that uh, summer, this is about May, May, and in July, I was scheduled to speak out at Lake Retreat. I was gonna be there. I believe it was my buddy Ron Mars, who was at Olympia together, and he was gonna do the night session as I was gonna do the morning, right? So I was to do five in the morning. He was to do um, the five at night. And uh, somewhere in May or June, they called me up and they said, I think it was the end of June, they said, hey, Steve, Ron's come down with mono, and he can't be there at camp. He can't speak. You've been working with him. Do you think you could cover both the morning and the evening? Because we can't pull somebody new in now. I said, oh, yeah, no problem. I could do that because I've been working with Ron. I've got the titles for all 10. So now I am responsible for junior high camp. I'm responsible for 10 messages, two each day, Monday through Friday, plus one on Sunday. Welcome. How are you? Aren't we glad at camp? May Jesus work. Go, God, go kind of thing, Right. And so I go, great. So it occurs to me that I should probably start working on these messages. <clears throat> you know, actually writing them out, that would be a good thing for a youth guy to do. And so I started writing these messages. I pull out a pad of paper, got a pen, started writing down, writing right, Woo! I mean, just like flames on the page, there was anger. <whistles> Ding, start over. <whistles> Ding. Okay, that went on. I went through two pads of paper. You know what I went to camp with? I can tell this now because it's safe, but I was embarrassed to death. I went to camp. I literally had an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper with three lines on it. That's all I had. Busted. Busted big time. Couldn't do it. Couldn't speak without anger. And to make it worse, I'm at Lake Retreat, and some of you will know where this is at because you've been out at Lake Retreat, but... If you come in the parking lot, there's that road that runs up, right? And the cafeteria's on the right-hand side, and then the offices are on the left, right? And I'm standing halfway up that driveway. And kids are kind of going, we came to camp. We, I did my homework just because I knew you were speaking. And, and then staff came up and said, Mitch, we got our job shifted, and people, we came just because we knew you were speaking. And then I had parents come up. They said, Mitch, we worked overtime, and we've been praying for our Johnny, and, and he's not right with the Lord, but we knew you were speaking this week. And we knew God would turn it. And that's why we made the effort. So just know we're praying for you. And I stood there and literally internally combusted standing on that driveway. Up at camp at the time is Johnson Lodge is still there. It's all fixed up and nice. But at the time, it was kind of a a rundown place where they stored stuff. And I knew there were some old dusty bedrooms up, up in the top. And so I went up there and I got in one of those bedrooms. I've shown Pam the spot where this happened. And I knelt down by one of those old dusty beds and <clears throat> and bawled like a baby, and realized I had just bankrupted a camp. Now, if you took the size of the camp, there were 186 kids. Uh, if you took all the staff, it was 232 people. Not that I knew exactly, but and I sat there and went, God, I am so, so I have been an absolute idiot. Why wasn't I listening to you? Why didn't I take your warnings and? listen and try to fix this before and and now i've bankrupted the camp i don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that that is the most undressed place in life you can possibly be i was about to destroy the whole thing and i wept and pled with god and i said look i can't fix it i can't create messages out of thin air so but i'm pretty good with scripture and i'm pretty good with ideas I'll make you a deal. If you give me a thought or an idea, I'll run with it. If you don't, I make the agreement I will not get up and try and speak. You can see the fear and desperation in this prayer. I'll just tell them, hey guys, sorry, I got an anger problem and I don't have it figured out so I don't have a message for you. So go do your small groups. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that. It was the most um, raw, that I can remember being, uh, standing there. Camps going, songs going, people cheering, right? You know what it's like out there. Just everybody's rocking and you're sitting there. Now, normally I'm a front row uh, person like Chad and Ginger, right? right? But not that camp. That camp, I was in the back. I was pasted against the wall. I had sweat on my forehead, wondering if God would tell me. And God was very faithful. He'd give me the thought or the scripture usually sitting there, twice during the week, I had nothing walking up front. I said, well, here I go. This was it. And I get, and on the way walking up, (coughs) God, excuse me, God gave me the idea. It was an amazing camp. Revival broke out in that camp. All kinds of repentance and stories and things breaking out. And after, uh, one of the guys who was a staff person there named Wayne, been a little kid had come all the way up to children's camp junior camp and all that stuff and he was one of the staff there that weekend and he said hey Mitch can I talk to you for a second I said sure he said he said you know you're he says you're you're my favorite speaker he said that's why I came to camp but he said something's really different I said well what do you mean he said well uh he said you know don't take this wrong because you've always been good but but something's different he says it's like you become Billy Graham or something And literally, I felt God tap my shoulder. And what he used was this verse. He said, Steve, can you now see that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God? And I stood there and was just awed at what God had done, not only in the camp, but in me. And so that was 1988. And since 1988, I have been working to unpack my anger. Uh, is it all gone? If my wife was here, she was honest. She would tell you no. Is it come a long way? Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled. That was '88. I didn't get married till '94, and I think a whole bunch of that had to do with God making me safe enough so I'd be safe for Pam when I actually got married to her, right? I still am not through it. I can't believe how many layers there are to this. this. Is like an onion, you know? How many layers are there, right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me again, okay? And most people would never know that I battle with anger. And yet it has been one of the core things that I have battled with. And one of the things that I find when it comes to marriage counseling is our inability to resolve anger or resentment. And as a result, um, we really struggle. What does that look like? I want to shoot you through a thing here. This is what we know what it feels like. And we have these... Uh, perception filters. Often, uh, anger is a uh, indicator. It's a symptom of something that's wrong. It's not what's wrong itself. It's a reaction to what we perceive is wrong. And usually in marriage, there is a trigger. Right? We get very good at knowing our nonverbals. We get very good at uh pushing limits. We we call it pushing buttons. Right? Ching. <laughs> there it went right we get really good at that and we know exactly where to push we know exactly which part to tap we know where our mate's fragile and and you know just like you're just like your mother oh okay arnie right my dad yeah that's great we we do that but what i found is that this this is symptomatic what you're seeing here up on the screen Behind that is another filter, and that filter's a little more intense. You can see the color gradation here. And usually that has to do with rights. There is some right that's being violated. There's something I have a right to. We've been talking in this series how men, we feel we have a right to respect or honor. And ladies, we feel like we have a right to love, okay? To receive love, to be given love. And so often when you see those through those different filters it comes down to rights what is rights i am owed and unless you give me what i'm owed you don't get nothing jack okay and it can work both ways i have a right to and it's it's based on rights but in marriage really if you think about rights that doesn't work very well it doesn't work any better in marriage than it does in the kingdom of god right but what i found behind rights is there's another filter It's a little more intense, and that has to do with this one. One of the things that I knew about both Pam and I is that we were both very, very right, and we were both very, very stubborn. I would take her through the pre-marriage counseling stuff I did, and one of them is matriarchal, patriarchal. And She goes, oh, honey, we won't battle with that, will we? And I said, are you crazy? We'll kill each other. She comes from a very strong matriarchal family. I come from a very strong patriarchal family, and... uh, both are sure the other should lead, right? So we, we have opposites as to who are the leaders, and, and when we're on different sides of the page, it really comes down to pride. But what I found about pride is this. That's usually a defense mechanism for two other things. What's usually behind pride? If you think about it, not too hard, fear. We all have major insecurities. Uh, most people don't see them. And a lot of times, even our mate doesn't see him when we're in the engagement process, right? Oh yeah, they struggle with this, but that isn't that big a deal. But we bring that stuff into marriage. We, we bring our insecurities into marriage and we have a lot of fears. And if your mate does something that triggers one of those fears, boy, it goes right through. And what's the first thing? Anger, Right? Those shields just go up like shields on, right? And you know you can feel it in your home, right? All of a sudden, there's a wall there. And it's an impenetrable wall. And it may be invisible, but it's there. I said you can walk in a house never say a word and be in a fight within 60 seconds. Shields up, right? Because, boy, some fear got clicked. But behind fear, there's even a more intense one. And that's this one, wounds. We've all been wounded in pretty significant ways by significant people close to us. And those wounds, often what we try to do with them is stick them in a little bag with a zipper and a little lock and a hook. You put them on, then you stick them on the shelf, right? Done with that. that went, that's taken care of. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And so, you know, it's exciting you first get married and there's lots to do and kids come along and, and you're rolling, 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 don't have time to look at that stuff on the shelf. Just keep rolling, man. If, if we keep rolling, if we go fast enough, it won't catch us, right? But it does catch us. Where does it catch us? When does it catch us? You know when it catches us? Usually right between 45 and 50. It's amazing how much counseling happens at 45 on. You know Why? Because somehow life or somebody takes that little, hey, what's that on the shelf? And they take it and they open it up and blah. And out comes the stuff you stuff for 30 years on that shelf. How dare you open that bag? Nobody opens that bag. I don't want that bag open. God, even if it's on you, I don't want that bag open. Right? Blah. You ever have it? Blah. Out it comes. And now, because you haven't dealt with it for 30 years, eh, What once was a crack is now the Grand Canyon, right? You've ever had a discussion in your marriage that should have happened 10 years ago and it hasn't? And now it's Grand Canyon. How are you ever going to cross that bridge, that gap? It's huge. And that's what takes place in this whole deal. I found my struggle at anger is that once I really saw what it was, oh my gosh, now what do I do? After all, I'm a pastor. That's even worse, right? So then the question comes up this morning. How important is it for couples to pray together? What keeps us from praying? What I want to suggest keeps us from praying together is unresolved anger and resentment. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. If you haven't heard that yet, that's one of the reasons we don't pray, because we stew. We know the sun says don't let the sun, or the Bible says don't let the sun go down on our anger. And we know we should talk to each other, but we don't. And we perk it. Is it any better in the morning if you perk it all night? No, it just got a little more concentrated and toxic, didn't it? If you do that for 10 years, how big is that? How toxic is that? How hard is it to broach that? It's very hard. When you have that, how easy is it to pray? Now, we can fake pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the food. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, everything in the sunshine and the flowers, amen. Right? But to really pray, to pray from your spirit, to pray together, how easy is it to do that? It's not easy at all. And I want to suggest two things to you this morning that I didn't recognize in my 20s that might make sense now that I'm in my 50s. I'm glad I can still say that, all right? Number one... This issue that I'm talking about, and singles, this involves you as well, this issue of unresolved anger or resentment, it, it, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. What I found out is it's a big deal to God. It's a real big deal to Him. It really matters. And He wants to root that out of us. And I had totally underestimated both the problem and the importance of the issue. Second thing that I learned is that it's a really big thing for God that we pray together as couples. And that this kind of unresolved stuff, this kind of tangled thing we get into relationally is what keeps us from from praying together uh, as couples. I want to have you go back to that Peter passage, right? And look at the verses right above it. It reads like this. This is a marriage pass. His husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs of you with the gracious gift. Ladies, I'm not going to woman's lib and try to explain the verse, right? It's what the Bible says, deal with it. Glad you got that. So that what? Why does God say, men, don't be harsh? By the way, one of the harshest ways we can be is when we are silently angry. Does that communicate to your wife, guys? Does she know? Yeah, even if you said no words, she knows. She knows it's in your spirit and she knows it's in your gut. And she knows it's in your eyes, whether you use words or not. Why does God say, don't be harsh? Don't exasperate your wife. Don't exasperate your children. Don't. Why does he say that? Because he knows our tendency, guys, towards anger and rage. And he knows that if we do that, if we camp there, and ladies take a little break here, okay. If we camp there, what? What's going to be hindered? Our prayers. Who's the head of the house? God says the men are. Therefore, the men are responsible for what? Praying with their wives, with their family. What's the number one thing guys fail on? Praying with their wives and with their family. It's a big deal to God. Just like resolving anger and resentment is a big deal to God, praying with your wife and family is a big deal to God. And God wants us uh, to pray together. Ladies, you know that that works two ways, right? You know that if you twist it or you poke it or you prod it or you push the button, um, it's hard for you. If your spirit's wounded, how easy is it for you to pray with your husband? Right? I don't need him. I have Jesus. Jesus. He can pray by himself, lug. He doesn't ever get it anyways, right? And what's the fallout? If you were to um, think about Satan for a second, the enemy of the church, the enemy of God, the hater of the kingdom, the despiser of salvation, the enemy of our souls, the accuser of the brethren and various other assorted names. If you were to think about him and ask yourself, what's his number one attack on the church day? What's his number one across the world? Not just here, not just Mill Creek, not just Northview, but across the world, his number one attack or strategy on the church. What would you say it is? And I want to suggest it's this one, what we've been talking about. Keeping couples from praying together. I say, oh, Mitch, isn't evangelism more important? Ask yourself, if the couples in the church aren't praying together, does evangelism happen? Matter of fact, ask yourself this question. If the couples in the church aren't, by the way, don't guilt on this. I'm just, I want to pull it out, right? Get that, pull it out. If the couples in the church aren't praying together, are we the kind of couples that non-believers would want to be like? Have you ever looked at us as couples and said, who would want what we got? How does that change? I want to suggest it changes when we pray together on a consistent basis. Something changes in us. We become better than we are. We become more than we are. We become greater than we are. We become full of more light than we are. Because we are praying to Him as we come mutually under Him, we become more like Him. Isn't that the goal? And when we become more like Him, cracks and all, we become attractive. Other people notice. There's something different about the spirit of our marriage. Something's untangled that isn't untangled. And what's untangled is the anger and resentment. There's harmony. There's peace. Because we pray together. So the question this morning is this. Will we let him win? If that's his number one attack, the issue before us today, right now in 2014 as we sit here, is will we let them win? How we let them win is by not praying together. How we defeat them is by praying together. We will never penetrate Mill Creek as a church if we aren't praying together as couples. Understand that right now as we sit here. We would never be a church, Northview Community Church, if it wasn't for praying couples. Matter of fact, this church and the legacy of this church revolves around an incredible faith story of a core group of people who had enormous faith and those couples were what? All praying together. Matter of fact, funny as it sounds, they were praying that they could go to another church and God told them no. Part of our history. What? I already have one foot out the door. What do you mean no? No. Not only that, but you must give to the building campaign and here's what you should give. Very unusual for God to do that. And out of that comes all of this that you see today. Not just this but hundreds of kids. you realize on a now Blizzard camps this Sunday, but on an average Sunday, behind that wall and behind those doors right there, there are 120 to 150 children from fifth grade and down. Do you realize how many kids that is? That is spectacular. And on a given Sunday, over here in this section, no, you guys are not youth group people. Nice try, Brian. <laughs> in this section where the guys, Matt and Brian and, and Kirsten are all sitting there, there are between hundred. And 140 high school and junior high students. Isn't it spectacular when they get up and walk out? Are those students going to keep walking with God if we, as couples in the church, don't pray for them? See, it really comes down to what God's doing. And if you're saying, Mitch, what are you asking this morning? I'm asking that we would take as a big deal what God takes as a big deal. How do you untangle all the tangles that we have? I have no idea. I've been a pastor for 35 years and I've counseled hundreds of couples. But I do know this. Prayer makes a huge difference. When people start praying, stuff changes and things that you could never untangle, start to untangle in a relatively short period of time. And it's miraculous. And not only do we need that as a church, but our community needs that. That's why Satan attacks it. And I know it's hard. I know we don't have time. I know we're busy. You can't outdo me, okay? I am a father of four, and I am a pastor of 500. If you think your schedule's busy, I'll match any stretch of it with you. Pam and I cannot go without praying, because we encounter warfare all the time. Every Friday, I guarantee you, warfare kicks up, and Pam and I have to start praying. And usually it's really unfair because it involves us. I'm like, that is so unfair. I don't mind if it involves you. Hey, I'm having a problem. Oh, I can help you with that. That's... That's easy. Right? What's the goal? The goal is to see that what's important to God should be important to us. And God says prayer is important. God says prayer changes things. And Satan goes, no, it doesn't. It doesn't change a thing. doesn't matter. He doesn't hear you anyways. Who do you think you are to pray to God? you think he'd hear you? Seriously? With all the people on earth that he needs, to you think he'd listen to you? I don't think so. That's a wrong prayer. You're not praying it right. No wonder he can't answer. Blah, 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 blah. You ever heard those voices? He works incessantly so that we would not pray together. Let's not let him win. Let's let Jesus win. Let's take him seriously when it's important. He says to pray together. And it restores not just the harmony of the home, harmony of the church, the harmony of our community. Let's pray. Father, as we come before this, I don't want a a guilt attitude and I don't want a defeatist attitude. I want a we could do this attitude. This is something we can do. This is something that you've shown me we can do. This is something that we do as a couple. This is something that um, is the foundation of our church. There wouldn't be a Northview Community Church Father if there wasn't uh, the core group of people that prayed all the way through it. I would have never been the pastor here if they hadn't prayed all the way through it. Father, there's some amazing things that can happen in terms of untangling, long-standing issues when we pray together. And Lord, would you encourage us this morning that you are with us in this, that you will bring every resource and every strength and every ability that you have to this equation if we choose to cooperate. And that we will know something of you that we would have otherwise never known. And we ask for that in your name. Amen.